Well, we are going to do one week here on, uh, on Palm Sunday. Historically, this is the day that the churches have gotten together to celebrate Jesus coming into, into Jerusalem. And it was the last week of his life. It kind of kicks off the Passion Week. There's been a lot of art and movies that talk about this too. And the stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them mention this moment when he came in. He does a lot of things in this moment to call attention to himself. It's a big parade, first of all. So a lot of people are, 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 are yelling and, and they're waving palm branches. Palm branches meant something in that culture, um, kind of like how fireworks represent Fourth of July here. Uh, those uh, those palm branches uh, represented revolution, and so uh, it, it recalled different kings who had come through Israel, and in particular, a guy named uh, Judas Maccabeus, who who had kicked all the Greeks out of uh, Jerusalem. And so, when Jesus comes in and his followers are waving these palm branches, they're saying, "Here's a new guy like that," and and how that guy kicked out the. The Greeks, Jesus here, he's going to kick out the Romans, and they're all getting excited. And then he comes on a colt, uh, which was not a usual way to, to go. The kings of Israel would come in on colts, uh, just a small donkey there, just as a way of, of staying humble. And so, uh, and there's a prophecy about it in Zechariah where he says uh, that the Messiah is going to come in on a, on a colt. If I were to get up and preach some Sunday in a, in a black suit and have a little a beard and a stove uh, type pop hat, you, you mean just by how I dressed, you would think I was looking like somebody and you would all probably know who I was looking like. Well, Jesus is doing that by the palm branches and by coming in on a, on a colt like this, on a, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. He's, he's sending signals to people who he really is. And his followers are calling out Hosanna to Jesus when he comes and save us. Uh, the, the, uh, Hosanna to the son of David, save us son of David, and the son of David was the Messiah, and, and so Jesus is letting everybody know. Now, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus a lot of times would tell his disciples, hey, let's kind of keep this quiet. You know, don't tell anybody about this thing I just did. Let's just keep this between us. Uh, don't mention this until after it's all over. And, and they wouldn't know what he was talking about. And sometimes they, they went ahead and told anyway. And, and, and big crowds would come around Jesus. But for the most part, he's kind of subtle about his uh, self-promotion. But this, this moment, uh, there's nothing subtle about what he's doing here. Uh, in fact, it says the whole city was stirred up by Jesus coming in. Uh, people were, the whole city was kind of abuzz by it, and they started asking, well, who is this? You know, a picture in that, uh, in that parade, a lot of the people who Jesus has done things for, you know, he's been teaching and preaching for three years, and all the people with him now are people who have been with him now for a long time. And there's, there's, there's blind men that Jesus healed. There's, there's a paralyzed man, maybe, that Jesus was able to make walk again. There's, there's different people who come along uh, who, who before were notorious, guys like Zacchaeus who were completely on the wrong side, and now they're on Jesus' side. And there's Lazarus, and, and, and John, book of John tells us that, that Lazarus was a guy who had been dead for four days, and Jesus brings him back, and people are wanting to see Lazarus. Just to, you know, is that the guy? Yeah, that's him. And, and so the whole city, it's like this huge parade, and they're all freaked out. When they say, who is this? It's not like, hey, you know, what's this guy's name? That's not, it's, it's more, who's this guy think he is? You know, who is this? I mean, what, what kind of guy can make all this stuff happen? And the crowds answered, and it's me and his disciples. This is Jesus. He's the prophet from Nazareth. Uh, he's here to tell you about God. He's here to explain to you how it's going to be from now on. And, uh, 
And it's a powerful thing. And I preach on this every, every year. I preach on, on this story either, again, out of Matthew, Mark, or, or Luke, or John. And so I, I want to preach on it again. But I want to take a, a small detour first, and then I'm going to come back and talk about it. But the main thing, who is this? Well, he's, he's somebody not to be trifled with. He's a king, and you need to treat him like he's a king. He's, he's important, and he's not like anybody else. That question that I put in yellow there, highlighted, it gets asked a couple of different times of Jesus through the Gospels, and it's almost always when people are kind of freaked out by him by a little bit. Uh, he heals a guy and tells the guy, hey, your sins are forgiven. And they, oh, who is this? Thinks he can forgive sins. And, and it's, it's always more like a who do you think you are kind of a tone. And it made me think of another time when people asked that about him, and I wanted to, to talk about that today. So one quick little Bible story, and then we'll come back. Actually, maybe two quick bubbles, mainly, mainly one, then a little bit of another, and then we're going to come right back. You ready? All right. It says, uh, Jesus was teaching once, and, uh, and it was getting kind of late in the day there, kind of evening coming, and so he told his disciples, let's go to the other side. Now, Jesus, a lot of times, would teach in a boat, on, like a, in, a, in a little cove or a bay uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and so there's a natural kind of an acoustic thing happening as the ground comes up on every side, and he's in the, in the boat, and they're all on the shore listening to him, and so it kind of keeps him a little bit separate so he can talk to them. And so he's been teaching, and he's been teaching for a long time, and he says, you know, let's just, just instead of going over there and camping with everybody else, let's just get out of here. That's kind of the gist. Let's just go and take, so he's exhausted. And so they grab Jesus, and they leave just as, as he was. So again, he's wore out. Uh, Jesus is fully God, and he's got all the power of God, but he's still just a, a guy, and, uh, and he's wore out. He's tired. And so they, they take him just as he was, and they hop in the boat, and they, they, they're going to go across the, the Sea of Galilee. And there's other boats, at least at that time, with them. They may have all went across the sea. It doesn't, we don't hear about the other boats again after this. And a furious squall come up, and the waves broke over the boat, and so it was nearly swamped. And this sort of thing happens a lot. The Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below uh, the ocean sea level, and winds come in and get in that bowl where the Sea of Galilee is, and it can really stir things up. Even today, that, that's still true. And so the boat is just really getting rocked back and forth. But Jesus is in the back of the boat, and he's got his head on a, on a cushion. It's probably the leather seat there that, that the, the guy who would steer the boat with the rudder would sit on. So Jesus is probably on the, the floor of the boat. He's kind of got his head up on that low seat where that guy would sit. And he's asleep. And again, the water's coming over the sides of the boats. And, and the, the disciples, who a lot of them were fishermen, guys who were on the lake all the time, they're freaking out. And Jesus, who's a carpenter, you'd think he'd be the guy freaking out, but he's not. He's asleep because Jesus knows who he is. And he's not worried. And so they woke him up and they said, teacher, don't you care? We're about to drown. And there's a real, uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is. There's a real uh, condescending almost attitude here with Je that they're taking with Jesus. How can you be sleeping at a time like this? And they're all ticked off at him. You know, if, if nothing else, get him help us. We're all struggling to keep the boat afloat. You know, we could use a little more help. Couldn't you do something? And they're really kind of getting some attitude with him. You know, who do you think you are? It could be that they're hoping he will get up and do some big miracle. But probably they just want him to come and help row and come and help scoop the water out of the bottom of the boat. They're going through some this awful moment here, and it just seems like Jesus is asleep at the switch. The first funeral that I ever did, this was the passage that I, I used. And uh, 
was was a really unexpected uh, death. It was a, a guy who was a younger guy and in pretty good health, everybody thought, and then one day had a heart thing and died, and, and no one knew he had a heart problem, and just just that was it. And I used this deal at that funeral because because this notion that Jesus, don't you care? I mean, where are you at when stuff is going wrong? The, the, the Jews, when they would write stuff down, sometimes they would use the sea and the ocean and the, and the, the big lakes and like that. They would use it as a picture of chaos. In Revelation, there's a line that says, uh, in, there will be no sea in heaven. There will be no sea there. And I don't think it means there will be no water. I think it's using that metaphor. In heaven, there's no more chaos. In another place in Revelation, it says there is a sea, but it's a glassy sea. There's no chaos. It's completely flat. Everything is, is, is okay in heaven. There's no more turbulence. Because the, the Israelites who lived right there on the Mediterranean Sea, they had kind of an uneasy relationship with the sea. It was dangerous. And in the middle of all the danger, don't you care? I mean, we're drowning here. I had a couple of conversations this week, and they were all... Uh, they were all kind of intense. Um, they all happened on the same day, the ones I'm thinking of. I had two, two or three, three conversations there. And, and they were all the same kinds of things, some relationships that weren't working out like they were supposed to work out, you know, some uh, people frustrated with a kid or frustrated with a, with a friend or frustrated with something going on there in, in the family. And, or, or, you know, and it happens to all of us. And we're, we're having a conversation, and, 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 and three different times, with three different people, I'm having this conversation. And all of them were like, man, if, just one, if anything else goes wrong, you know? And they just tell me all the different things that were going wrong. You know, this broke today, and then, then I got this awful call, and then this thing happened, and next thing I know I'm talking, if just one more thing goes wrong. I don't know if you've ever had days like, well, we all have, right? Had a day like that recently or not, but, but, but I think there can be a spiritual warfare element to it. And the devil in those moments, everything's chaos, you know? And, and if just one more thing happens, and I think the devil will do that, push you right to the edge where you, you know, you're not sure you can take it any longer. And that's where the disciples are. You know, Jesus, wake up, do something. Well, I mean, he's right there. So he does wake up. He, he got up, he, he rebuked the wind and the, said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And I don't know how instant all that was, whether the boat was rocking along and then all of a sudden it just drops. I don't know if it was like that or if it just gradually went away, but it went away pretty fast. He gets up and says something and it's, it's over. There's hymns about that. Uh, he billows his will obey. You know, if he, if he calls out to it, then it's going to do it. And, and one of the things we believe is that Jesus always has control. He's not asleep at the switch, even if it seems like he is. And, and you're going to come through. And we know this from our past, right? I mean, we look back at our, our life story and we think about how we got to here from wherever we got to, and we can see all the different things that happened to get us to where we are. When we think back about our life, we can see maybe how God was even moving in different things to wake me up to certain stuff. But in the middle of it, you don't see any of that. All you see is the chaos. In the middle of it, you, it's hard to even imagine how you're going to make it. But God will come through. God has always come through, and he's going to come through for you here. I, I, he will, if not in this life, then certainly in the next, and one day he's going to put away all the chaos. Dallas Willard uh, said this. He says, with this magnificent God positioned amongst us, Jesus brings us the assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place to be. This was the realization that hit the disciples 
As long as they're hanging out with Jesus, they're fine. I mean, it may look a little crazy. It may look a little scary, but he's got this. That's the lesson they figured out, and it's a good lesson for us to remember. As long as we're with him and as long as we're on his side, we're going to be fine. One little Bible story in the middle of the bigger one that was illustrating the first one I told is about a guy named Jonah. Now, if you remember the story about Jonah or not, but Jonah was trying to run away from God. And he gets on a boat, and he goes out in the ocean, and the storm comes, and it looks like chaos, and the other sailors are freaking out. It's a, kind of a similar story to the one we just read. And, 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 the, and the sailors say to Jonah, hey, what's going on? Well, I'm running from God. Well, that sounds bad, the sailors said. What do you think we need to do about that? Well, throw me over the side. As soon as you throw me over the side, it'll get better. Well, they don't want to do it. But they, but they can't make the boat stay afloat. The water's getting worse. The storm's getting worse. And so the sailors all pray, God, it seems like you want us to do this. We don't know why, but we're going to toss this guy overboard. And they toss him overboard, and as soon as he hits the water, you know, the storm goes away. Now, for Jonah, it looks like certain death. You know, he's on the boat, and, and the storm is crazy, and they throw him over the boat. But as soon as he leaves the boat, he goes from being out of God's will to write back in God's will. And before he even hits the water, his universe is a completely safe place to be. God arranges alternate transportation back to land. It wasn't the transportation Jonah probably wanted. We don't always get to vote how he's going to do it. Sometimes he does it in a way we don't like. But when you're holding on tightly to him, you find that this universe is a perfectly safe place for you to be. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Now, the first half of all those clauses sounds pretty bad, and you may know what it's like. Maybe some of you even right now, what it's like to be hard-pressed on every side. But what Paul found out what I found out and what billions of Christ followers through the years have found out is that as long as you hold tight to him, the storm will not overwhelm you. It can't. He's God. And when you're holding on to God and when you and God are on the same side, then there's nothing this world can take from you. Now, it may fight and it may rebel and you may go through a hard moment. Paul did. Jesus did. The disciples did. But he's going to pull you through. That's what God does. And when you make a decision to put your hand in his hand and to follow him and go where he goes, you're going to find that this world is, is a lot more safe maybe than you thought that it was. Okay, back to the disciples. So um, Jesus is asleep on the boat. Uh, they, they come and they say, hey, don't you care? We're going to drown. He gets up. Peace be still. The, the water gets quiet. And then he turns to the disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? I mean, what's, what's going on? I mean, do you have no faith? And, and again, it, it hurts a little bit to have that said because I've been in that situation where I started doubting that God was going to come through. I've been in that situation where he had to kind of wake me up. And, and he just, what's the deal? Have, and, and you can almost imagine Jesus saying that to, to you. Haven't I always come through before? Hasn't it always at the end come to be where it's supposed to be? Haven't I proven not only on the cross and the resurrection and all those stories in the Bible, but even in your own life that I'm going to come through and do the things I said I would? You don't, do you have no faith? And then it says they were terrified. Now, the word I highlighted on the first one here, afraid, is a mild uh, fear. Why are you letting this stuff rank, wrinkle you, is the idea Jesus says. Why are you letting this stuff bug you? But this second word is a much harder word. The King James says they feared a great fear. 
uh, it really knocked them backwards. They were terrified. Who is this? Who is this? And see, the disciples, even to this point, kind of had a, a bad impression of Jesus. They thought he was a great teacher, but he's more than a great teacher. He does more than a teacher can do. He's a healer, but he's more than a healer. I mean, they, they had made him their master. They're following him, but he's not like anybody else that you might follow. I was looking on the Twitter uh, earlier, uh, yesterday, and on the Twitter, one of the guys I'm following is a person who will tell you how to dress better. And I don't I'm really follow him. I just, somebody else I'm following is following him. I didn't have how to dress better, how to exercise better, how to look better, how to have better stuff going on. And I looked, and there's like 100,000 people following this guy. Not me. I'm not following him because I'm looking good right now. But, I, but, I, but, I, but, but, but 100,000 people following this dude. And when you look through the different Twitter stuff, you can, you can, a lot of celebrities, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people just following them, hanging on their every word, hoping they'll get some little, little, little bit of wisdom here. But Jesus is not somebody you can follow like that. He's not somebody that you can follow like that. It's not, he's not just some other guy you can add to your already busy life and get a little nugget of wisdom and go do whatever you want to do. He's more than that. And when the disciples see that, they're terrified. They don't even know what to make out of Jesus anymore. Like, 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 like who is this guy? I mean, we just thought he was a great teacher, and now we're seeing that he's a lot more than that. And that, all, all that in mind, brings us back to, uh, well, brings us back to Palm Sunday. I want to, uh, there it goes. I want to make an illustration here if I can. I looked at my sermon last year on Palm Sunday, and I, I mentioned this idea of a bounded set and a, and a centered set, and I want to talk about that again. I think it's a good way to understand what Jesus is expecting out of us on Palm Sunday when he comes in like a king. Uh, he expects that you to orient your whole life around him. Now, a lot of churches, and this church in some ways, can be set up like a, a bounded set. A bounded set, there's a clear wall, and as long as you're inside that clear wall, you're part of us, Right? Now, if you're outside that clear wall, whatever that clear wall is, then you're not part of us. And you would think we're a Christian church, it's probably going to be something like, well, you've got to be baptized, or you've got to, you've got to take communion every week, or you've got to, uh, and you would think it'd be something like that. But it usually isn't at a church. It's usually, that's usually not what makes you get defined. Usually what makes you defined is if you're a pretty good person, whatever that means. You're a pretty good person. Uh, you're, you, 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 you're sort of well-adjusted. You know, you, you help out a little if you can. You don't have to help out. You're just sort of, uh, you're pleasant. That's usually enough to get you in the circle. Sometimes I'll go through a town and I'll see somebody at the store and, and maybe, I, I'm, you know, Julie will introduce me or, or I'm, just, I'm just finding, I'm meeting them for the first, I feel like I'm meeting them for the first time. And, I, and so I'll say, well, hey, where do you go to church? Well, I go to your church. I go to Mount Pleasant. I really, really, yeah. And I've never seen them. I have no idea who they are, but they are a member because a long time ago they said they were, and so in their minds, they're in, right? They may not do anything, but they're, they're in. We talked about that for the last few weeks, actually, the last sermon series we did. To me, an active Christian is someone who's reading and, and praying, right? They're, they're feeding themselves. An active Christian is involved in a, with other Christians. They, they've, they've built some relationships. An active Christian is learning how to serve. They give back a little bit. If a person's not doing those things, then I, in my head, they're not really an active Christian. They may be a Christian, but they're not active. They're not really in this thing. 
but, but you don't have to do any of that stuff to be in the bounded set. You just got to be a decent sort. Pleasant. In some ways, it's kind of like a cowboy kind of a deal here. See all the horses there in the pen? Um, out west, you, you might have Mustangs, wild horses out there. And you could go out there and get one of the wild horses and break them. And then you could put them in the pen. And the wild horses at first may not like it, that they can't just go wherever they want to go. But pretty soon they'll realize, well, it's kind of nice. There's food here and there's a nice fence. We're safe, you know. And so you sacrifice your freedom because you're safe. We're here in the, in the nice pen and, and that's a, a bounded set. That's how that works. On the other hand, you can have more of a centered set. Now this picture here is not photoshopped. Um, in Africa, like in the, in the drought season, when water is scarce, all the animals know where the water is. And you get this weird thing where animals that normally would hate one another or eat one another, they're on the same side because they know where the water is. And, and it doesn't last very long, this truce, and there's no guarantee the zebra is going to be safe in this moment. Uh, but this is where the water is. If you don't get to the water, you're going to die. It doesn't matter what else you do or don't do. And so a centered set, Jesus is in the middle of it. See, he's the cross there in the middle of it. I've actually got this thing here. There you go. See, on the cross there in the middle. And, and you've got this thing I go, ooh, oh. It's, it's big technology here all the time. See, like this, this dude on the outside edge. See, this guy way over here on the outside edge. But the arrow is pointing in. So even though he looks like he's way out, he's walking towards Jesus, and he's fine. Then you've got another guy. See, he's right here almost by the cross, but he's walking away, and he's probably not fine. This guy out here is probably doing better than this guy because at least he's walking towards the cross, right? He's trying to get closer to Jesus. Now, now, now you think about this bounded set and the, and the, and the centered set. In the bounded set, you've got to be a decent sort of person. As long as you're a decent sort of person, you're, you're in. If you want to be in, you're in, right? I can meet you out in the, in, the, in the store. Where do you go to church? I go to your church. Oh, okay, great. And there's no argument about that. I mean, if you say you do, then okay. What do I know? And, but, but in a centered set, it's all about getting close to, to Jesus. They're in the middle. And you may have somebody out here who really doesn't look like a decent sort. They may be just barely hanging on out here. They may be in the middle of a lot of chaos, they may even be wondering if Jesus is asleep at the switch or not, but they're trying, you know? They may not be a, a Bible expert, but they, but they do seek out what he has to say. I mean, they are trying to pray. They, they don't understand it all yet, but they're trying to figure it out. They're, they're trying to connect. They're doing the best they can. They, they may not look like they've got it all figured. They may not have it all figured out, but they know who Jesus is. Whereas you have some other people who may have been in the church here for years and years and years, but they never read. They never pray. They're not really deeply connected with other Christians. They don't give back that much. It just doesn't mean that much to them. Not really. I mean, not, not really. And even though they look like a decent sort, the kind of person you'd want to be neighbors with, they're not really close to Christ. And Jesus talks about guys like that. That not everybody who says to him, Lord, Lord, is going to get into heaven, but only the ones who do his will. Right? Okay, get back to those disciples on the boat. Who is this guy? We just thought he was a great teacher. Give us some little nuggets of wisdom now and then. We could apply to our lives. That's not what he is. He intends to be obeyed. He thinks of himself as a great king. He thinks of himself as somebody that other people need to orient their lives around. He doesn't think of himself as somebody that you can check in and check out of. 
you either with him or you're not. You know, really smart Christians will fight and argue about things like, okay, once a person has their salvation, could they lose it? And, and I know I'm in the minority on this, but that's always seemed like kind of a dumb argument to me. Because we've all known people, all of us have, who seem like they cared about the Lord, and now they don't seem like they care about the Lord, and there's no gas tank on their back. Well, you used to have the Spirit, but it looks a little empty now. We don't know for sure, right? And so the ones who say you can't lose your salvation will say, well, they never had it. And the ones who say you can lose your salvation say, well, he did have it, but now he doesn't. And I've never agreed with any of that line of thinking. Because who knows, right? You either want to follow or you don't. If you want to follow, good news, the door's open. You can come right in. If you want to follow, good news, you're you're, you're this close to the kingdom. One step and you're in. And if you don't want to follow, then what difference does it make? If you don't want to follow, if you don't want to hear his voice, if you don't want to, if all this is kind of dull to you, if you don't really want to connect deeply with anybody else, if you don't want to give back, if you don't want to do any of those things, then who cares? What do you think heaven's going to be like? Are you sure you're going to like it if you get it? I think, I think a lot of times as Christians, sometimes even guys who have been Christian for a long time can forget who the boss is in this relationship. Sometimes we struggle with who's going to lead and who's going to follow. And, and he doesn't come as just some other dude. He comes as a great king. And he expects to be obeyed. He expects for you to, to put your whole life in his hands. And to follow him with everything that you got. In storms, and maybe some of you guys are in a storm right now. We like to equate Jesus' worth by his utility is... If I'm in a storm and things are chaotic, then I hope he'll fix it just like that. And if he doesn't fix it just like that, I might go fishing for other things. I might start reaching out and try to find anything else that could make me happy. Some of the people who are asking Jesus to save them on Palm Sunday will be mocking him by Good Friday. And they'll be saying things like, well, he can't even save himself. But Jesus is Lord and he's king even if you don't totally understand how he is. And he's Lord and he's king, even if you don't totally understand his ways. That's what Jim was talking about earlier when he put those verses behind him. He's, he's Lord and he's king, even if you don't get it. You know, sometimes a person might say when they become a Christian, I, I, I accepted him as Lord. And that's cool that you did that, but he was Lord whether or not you accepted him. And he's going to be Lord whether or not you ever do. And I think at some level... We all know that. Where we get a little foggy is, is on the question about whether I'm really trusting him every day with my life. So I want to talk to you today if, you, uh, if you're in the middle of a storm. Let me talk to you first, those of you who are in the middle of a storm. Especially if you're starting to wonder if he's asleep at the switch, if you're all by yourself out here or not. He is as close as a whisper And if you will call out to him today in prayer, I promise he answers. I promise he's going to come through. He he does. It's it's what he does. And it may not be the way you want it, and it certainly may not be as quick as you want it, but God has proven 
over and over and over and over again to be faithful. And, and one point we can all, like the North Star, point back to is he laid his very life down for you. And, and if God would do that, if God's willing to give you his very flesh and bone and blood, won't he give us all things? I mean, if God was willing to do that, can't you trust him for the smaller things that you're going through? And so if you've never made a decision to put him first, to give it all to him, to say, God, I want you to run things, run my life, then today could be the best day for that. Today is the best day. The immediate is the best. And to come forward and we, at the end of the service and to pray and ask God to come into your heart and, and, and to be baptized. And, and baptism is such a beautiful picture. You know that water and the storm that can be so dangerous. We, we take that same water and it's like, here you are and you go under the water and the old you is buried and the sin is washed away and the new you comes out. And that door is always open for any of you every Sunday. I also on this same note want to speak to the guys who have been Christian for some time. But using the report card that I've been talking about the last few weeks, are you feeding yourself? Are you connected deeply with other Christians? Are you, are you serving and giving back? You're not coming up straight A's like you thought you should. When we look at that report card, you realize maybe that, that you've kind of wandered the other direction. You've kind of floated away from a focus on Jesus. If that's you today, and, and, and you may have been Christian for a long time, do not leave here without getting yourself right with God. Again, it's as close as a whisper, as quick as a wink. You can come right back to him and ask God to come into your life and into your heart and into your marriage, into your kids and your parenting relationship, into your, your work. You're not all alone in the world. You're not. And even if everybody else is running the other direction, you don't have to. And all the power of God's available. And I really do believe he still does miracles. They may not be as flashy as turning uh, water to wine, but I, they're life-changing all the same. And I think God will work with you, on you, uh, for you, if you ask him to. So, i the band come back up. I'm going to have a couple of different people at each end here who are willing to pray with you. And I'm going to invite you, if anybody needs to, to come up and pray. And if you want to pray for something going on in your life, that's awesome. Please do that and, and ask God to move and ask God to, to, to do whatever he needs to do there and, and, and be real transparent there. And if you need to make a decision about getting straight with him, do that today too. But it may be that you don't really have anything particular going on with you, nothing big. I still want to encourage you during this time to come and pray with the guys who are here. You don't know, maybe they've got something going on. And and uh, if you feel led to do it, come and pray with them and say and ask them, how can I pray for you today? If they say, well, nothing, everything's going pretty good with us, then pray for us, pray for our church. Pray that God will use us. I don't think I'm the only person in Bedford who's went through some storms here lately. And, and our, our county, our town is hungry to know who God is. And so pray for us and take advantage of this time to do all that. We need more praying. Uh, this morning before the service started, uh, uh, we, some of the elders get together and pray in one of the back rooms, and we were praying, and, and there was just a, a, a couple of elders there and, and me, and we were praying, and, and we all had our heads down, and we're praying, and, and, and then we get done praying, our heads come up, and there's somebody else has walked in and sat down. One of the other elders had got there late, and he came in halfway through and sat down, 
And, uh, and so you want to pray? I don't know. Do you think we need it? Yeah, we better have it. Let's pray. And so he started praying. And I feel like that about you too. You may be, remember those, those kids' games? Like you, you keep tapping the Jenga or, you, or the little uh, the, the thing and, the, and then the ice breaks. Or, or, or you know, you may be the last bean that knocks it all over. I don't know. Your prayer may be the one that really turns everything around. So if you feel led to pray, man, take advantage and come here and pray with us. Let's stand up with me now and let's pray together. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this group, and I pray, Father, for them. If there's anybody here, God, that needs you, I just pray, God, you give them the courage to, to reach out. I thank you, God, that you promised to answer. And I pray, Father, you move in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.